I'm Josh Boaz. I'm Matt Zucker. There are a lot of podcasts featuring top executives. But what about the next wave of leadership? The makers and the doers. The ones we're all going to work for. We wanted to meet them. Find out their story, how they got to where they are, and what they see coming for everyone. This is a spotlight on those on the way up. This is Rising. Today on Rising, we're joined by Kristen DiConzolo. She is the VP of Marketing with Coal America, a leader in the intimate sector, offering high-quality, sustainable, and fascist-conscious lingerie. In her current role, Kristen oversees Wakol's direct-to-consumer marketing initiatives. Prior to joining Wakol, Kristen served as Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Perry Ellis International and Victoria Knox Swiss Army. Before that, she was Director of Marketing at Lacoste. Welcome, Kristen. Welcome, Kristen. Thanks for having me. How are you guys? Good. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Maybe we can start out by if you could just give us a kind of quick arc of your career, just from the high level, and then you know we can we can go from there. I started my career in fashion. That's really all I wanted to do. I was definitely one of those people when I was growing up that's like, I want to move to New York and I want to work in fashion. Whatever that meant, I didn't know what it meant, but it sounded great. So after college, I moved to New York really sort of much like everyone else where um, I didn't have anything planned. I, you know, sort of found a job. I contacted um, someone that I interned with and they told me about a job at Max Mara. And Max Mara is obviously a luxury Italian woman's fashion company. And really from there, I sort of fell in love with the category and but I started out in PR and then after that I really realized that for my own career um, I wanted to broaden my horizons. Luxury is amazing but not a lot changes in the sector and so as a marketer I wanted to be somewhere where I could be a little bit more creative and flexible and I wanted to try you know other categories like men's, kids, etc. So when the opportunity presented itself at Lacoste I moved over there and I was so excited because I ha- I'm a tennis fanatic, so that w- worked out well for me. Um, but when I started there, they were really dabbling in digital. And so my cur- the start of my career, there was really no such thing as websites. I remember being in Max Mara and they didn't even want, they didn't want a website because that felt very mass and commercial and not luxury. But remember then luxury brands wanted nothing to do with the internet. So I moved over to Lacoste and we launched the website and really it was quick learnings right away. Um, It became the number one door after the first year. It was a really exciting time to be there and that was really my first foray into digital. I remember calling my assistant into the office and asking her what is the Twitter. Um, Her laughing and me feeling dated already before a platform had had even started. Um, really since then, if you kind of look at my career, I really have found this niche where I, I've worked at heritage brands and sort of made them more, um, digital savvy. I think that that's sort of the intersection of, of my career is taking a heritage brand and making them a little bit more future forward in terms of the digital space. Um, I enjoy it. It's kind of like the old with the new. It also allows, um, you can have such an a passion because there are these tried and true iconic brands, right? I mean, at the time when I was at Lacoste, we were celebrating the 75th anniversary. When we were at Victorinox, it was the 120th, etc. And I think that means something. And even here at Wacol, 
while I've never worked in the intimate sector, um, they are a very established brand in Japan and have been here domestically for over 30 years. So these are not, um, I am not a part of the digitally native bubble uh, where new brands are popping up every single day, but I think it's very cool to be bringing heritage brands to new markets and to, um, and to make them more tech forward. Kristen, could you talk about your job changes? I mean, you said that the opportunities presented themselves, but I don't know if you went after them or if they showed up at a time and you weren't ready to move or you wanted to move. Can you talk about your job switches? I think it's a combination of both. I think one of the challenges sort of within what I do is in order to grow and move to the next level, you had to leave. I think it's something we talk about all the time. Uh, how are you developing, especially this younger generation who wants to learn and be motivated and have a growth plan? Well, traditionally in most companies, there's really no growth plan. You, you were only promoted if the person left or retired, right? And so um, part of it was, I felt that I hit the ceiling in some companies. Um, and so I put the feelers out and I found a job. When I, when, some, when I went from Lacoste to Victorinox, a consultant that I was working with at Lacoste was also working there. And he asked me to come over. That was actually an interesting time because I stopped working. I had my first son and I thought as a woman, that's what I was supposed to do. Um, not meant for me. <laughs> to be a stay-at-home mom full-time. I respect it, I appreciate those that can, but I was not the best version of myself. And I think I was falling into sort of societal stereotypes of what a woman should do at that time. Um, but really, once he called, I went over and I started consulting and then the president asked, um, you know, what, do you need, what would you do if, you know, what should a marketing department look like here? I sort of gave him a presentation and he said, do you want to, do you want to lead it? And I said, sure, that sounds like a good, um, that sounds good for me. And I was able to bring over a couple of key members from La Costa as well. I'm sure that was frowned upon at the people that worked there, but you know, it's all about surrounding yourself with really good people that you can trust and that you know are going to do the job. Um, and then from there, I, I was looking for a different company. A lot of it came to culture in a couple of places. Um, I was not looking for, I was not actively looking for the job at Wacol, but when I met with Mitch Kaufman, the CEO, he reminded me of Bob Siegel, the CEO at the Lacoste, who at the time I thought was the best CEO I had ever worked for. I don't know if we're allowed to use names on here, but, um, and I was in a work culture that was toxic for me. And I really, I guess, didn't realize it. And when I met with Mitch, he even asked, he goes, have you ever heard of this company? I said, no. Um, I'm one of those many women that are completely uninformed about the intimate category. And he told me that Wakol was a place that was about mutual respect. And it really just resonated with me what he said, because that is not something you hear typically in an interview. And it was really what I was looking for. And the job itself I could do, right? You can take your skill set and really pretty much do that anywhere. But the culture is something 
that is very personal and that's really what you're looking for when you're look seeking a job and also being hired. And so um, I'm so thankful the recruiter called me. I'm so thankful that I took the advice of my mentors that said whenever someone calls, always take a meeting. And he is by far, not because I'm currently employed there, but he's by far um, one of the best CEOs I've ever worked for. And he takes the the mantra or the ethos that the company has, the, the founding principle of mutual respect um, to practice, to practice what he, what he preaches. Hey, you know, we haven't talked a lot about managing up and what the relationship is like, especially with a CEO and stuff. Have you, do you have any tips or experience or personal about the relationship between you and your boss and how to, how to keep them informed or how to build a relationship that w- at, at that level? Yeah, I, th- I actually think it's very important to go manage up, down, and all around. I think that uh, I think a lot of people think knowledge is power, but they don't understand that sharing that power is a part of the work process and the work culture. Um, for me, it's always been really important, and I think it's something I grew into. I think most people feel that management and C-suite, no matter what level you are, too busy, and what you have to share is re- they don't have time for, Right. And I think it's almost the exact opposite. I think they really want to hear what's happening. They want to be in touch. You know, I've worked for CEOs that they loved visiting stores because that's when you got the real feedback about what the customer was thinking and what was really happening in the environment. I've really taken the time to make sure that I'm communicating the high points and what I really believe about a lot of aspects of not only my job responsibility, but the company, making sure that they're hearing what they need to hear about even if it's culture-related, dynamics, especially, you know, during COVID, um, we were communicating, I felt honestly, so much more because we wanted to make sure that people were healthy, they were mentally healthy, um, they were driven, they were, go- they were going from an in-office setting to working remotely and was that working and, and being able to provide that feedback uh, in real time. Um, I think it's so important to understand how they want to be communicated to, right? I mean, I know, I and and um, the type. So, meaning like some some managers, they just want a quick text. They want whatever. I've had CEOs that I've reported into that they really want the background, the context of where everything is coming from. And then you have some CEOs that are like, just give me three bullets and we'll move on from there. Um, I think it's important to make sure that you're your front and center frequently and, and to not be afraid to sort of share um, what's happening, the context and how that sort of affects the business, not to get into the nitty gritty. The other part though, is making sure that, that, you know, entry level positions also know what they're, what's happening. You know, managing up, everyone talks about that's super important, but um, especially with this new generation coming up, they want to know the why. So when we were assistants, our bosses just said, go do this. I don't know if Josh was ever an assistant, but when, when I was an assistant, um, you know, they would just say, do this, and you did. But now this generation really wants to know why because they want to be a part of something. And I think that's something super important for managers to know that you have to make sure you have to bring them into the fold, you know, and they might have great ideas. They definitely understand social media way way more than I do, um, or they understand how people are consuming media or the way they're consuming media is so different than 
the other generations that it's so important to hear to get that input and feedback. You hear that, Josh? You got to talk to your people. Do you I know do. them? Do you know their names? Sometimes, sometimes. Um, do you ever get anyone coffee, Josh? We're going to edit all this out. <laughs> all this, all this Josh banter. Um, you know, t- just talking about kind of the next generation, Kristen. Right now, I mean, the big theme is the Great Resignation, and so many, you know, so many people kind of looking to switch jobs and walk away from careers. And any advice? I mean, having you know, having ha- built up your career and, and and kind of for the longer term, any advice that you would give to that kind of next generation that's kind of facing this, you know, once in a, a generation um, moment? We've been talking about this a lot internally, just from the other point of view. How do we make sure that they stay there and they stay engaged? I think it really comes to open communication. They want to be they want to be a part of the conversation, a part of the talk, and I think that what I would tell them is to be transparent. We can, people cannot read minds. So if you're thinking of jumping, and I always say this, if you're thinking of jumping, have the conversation with your manager before you make that jump. Because when you're young, the grass is definitely always greener in their mind, but really it's just a different patch of grass. There's a lot of other things to look at. I mean, I always say, I'm like, our benefits are so great. And they're like, I'm still on my parents' insurance. What are you talking about? So it's not really relevant to them. But I think that if they, if they understand and say, listen, I am looking for a growth trajectory here in X, or I actually don't see myself growing in this position, but I'd like to try this other position over here. Those are the conversations to have. Um, I would also say to the younger generation to not jump as much because I think that hiring managers look at longevity as a company and if they see you constantly switching off and I mean for me a red light goes off because I'm concerned about why they're leaving why why aren't they finding that stickiness I mean I'm not looking I don't need them to be there a hundred years but I but did they not get along with people um could they not fit into company culture are they just looking to leave and because as you guys know um Onboarding someone takes a very long time as an expense, and as an expense. So you want to ensure that that person that's there, no matter how complicated the company, to understand processes, et cetera, it's so important. Um, I would say that they need to learn patience for sure. They definitely hold all the power right now, though, right? So many, so many people at that level are jumping and saying, "I can make X more," but what does that really mean? Are you really gaining that experience there? And people, especially in tech companies, no offense, Josh, but there's a lot of words and fancy vocabulary that sound a certain way. But once you get there, you're not you're not really doing what you had expected. Yeah, and I think you need like depth, like a little bit of depth. Like if you stay a year or two, what do you really know? I mean, maybe you did one campaign, you planned one act initiative, you know, but, if, but to get two or three under your belt, I mean, you know, when I worked in advertising, it was like, to account executives at least two years. Otherwise, how do I know you have a rela- you'd understand relationships? And if you're a creative, you really did need to do a couple campaigns. You can't just do one, you know, otherwise just be a contractor. So a little bit of depth would be good. Well, I was also saying I always, you know, sort of try to mentor females. Um, you know, I'm a minority female, honestly, and what does that look like coming up? And I always, to your point, say, you really need to learn how to network. That is not something that you're taught and you really need to work at that. Not only external networking, which is great, 
but internally within the company because that cross-functional networking is how you're going to get your next promotion or raise. It's not necessarily within your own department. It's the executive in the other department realizing, wow, they're a stud. Because I, once I recognize that in someone else in another department, I am definitely first to always advocate for them to their manager. That's a great point. I mean, we've talked about networking a lot, but always externally. I don't think we've ever talked about it internally like that, right, yeah. Josh? No, that's a great point. And I think the, right now, with a lot of young people think that the switching costs of jobs is zero, right? And especially, if, like you said, Kristen, there's a lot of, they hold a lot of power. But the switching cost isn't that, can I get a higher salary and you know a nicer title? The switching cost is, do I lose that network internally that I've spent a year or two building? Because you're starting from zero. And it, especially if you move into a bigger and bigger company, then you're, you're almost like negative. Right, because you're so it's a it is a huge cost. I don't think people realize probably until later in their career that oh yeah, these relationships internally, especially, are important to propel me forward. Yeah, I think you know the younger me wanted to. I wanted a, I wanted a brand that everybody knew, and I wanted, um, I wanted free clothes from the really great company and. I wanted to, you know, go to the fashion shows in Milan and all that sort of stuff. And now me would say, I just want to work with nice people. And it could, and their revenue could be significantly less than the previous company. But so much of culture and people in a work setting is so much more important than that other stuff. Um, And that's what I would sort of say. I feel that the younger generation is very attracted to that shiny penny, but shiny pennies <clears throat> start to rust. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more about your, just ex- maybe some experience as a minority woman rising up in, in this industry? Any, any uni- unique challenges or opportunities that you were able to, to leverage? Yeah, I think that I didn't probably didn't really lean into me being a minority female, honestly, until recently. Um, in full transparency, I'm adopted and my parents are Caucasian American. And I think for a large part of my life, I also thought I was Caucasian American. So, um, I think that I didn't really understand, uh, what that meant really until I had kids. And then I had to explain to them that it's a little bit of a superpower being different. And I would say that, um, I think most of my career, it was, um, it, it was being female, I think I probably felt most insecure about, and my age, more so than being a minority. Um, I think that fashion is pretty open and is probably a little bit more progressive than other industries in regards to females and women being at the helm. Um, but I always, I sort of progressed really early on in my career, and I always felt super young. And I think that is the part that I myself was so insecure about and had had to work on. Um, People at the table would be talking about, well, now you look at startups and the executives are all in their 20s. So there's really no, there isn't that ageist behavior. But at the time, I felt like I was at a table and everyone was talking about generational things. I, I wasn't there for Kennedy, but I really tried to pretend like I was. Um... Because I think that that was really sort of the insecurity. I think people, 
I'm not a big believer. I definitely think experience is helpful just in terms of office dynamics and obviously knowledge, but the world, especially in tech, is changing so fast and I'll be on calls and obviously those that are younger know a lot more than me and that's why they're hired. Um, but I think when we were growing up, tenure meant you were an expert. So I always felt handicapped by the fact that I was younger than everyone else. Um, but then it was not lost on me once I started to get the seat at the table that I was a female, everyone around me was a male, and they were much better at the schmoozing than I was. I just wanted to do my job and go home. I wasn't playing golf. I wasn't going out for that extra cocktail. When I was on a business trip, I do I basically do what I needed to do, but then I wanted to go back to the hotel and go to sleep. Um, and I think that we weren't, I wasn't taught about that sort of networking and being a part of that banter as as a way to as a way of success. I, th I thought my mine was put my nose down, do the work, and that's part of it. So I guess that goes back to the networking piece of it to understand that it's all sort of related is a part of the game um, to make sure that you're able to hang for lack of a better term um to be able to you know there's a reason why there's there's the sayings of it's not you know what you know it's who you know um and those sorts of pieces only really until recently have i really thought about um being a minority and what that means in the business um i'm fortunate enough to work for a company where there's women on the management team it's you know more minorities on the management team than not and so i think it's always been ingrained in the culture um i guess for me it's about ensuring that we're we're passing down like who's best i i believe it's who's best for the job and i think that i i want to ensure that we're hiring not because they check boxes but because they're actually the right ones for the job I think I actually pleasantly surprise people or surprise people because my name is does not match my appearance. So Kristen DiGonzolo, you would not assume that a Korean American female is what would be walking in. Um, and I, like I said, I think almost think that that's like my superpower, right? So I've been able to do all these things. They assume they're meeting someone and then I walk in and I am not who they assumed. And you can tell by their reaction, probably. You uh -huh. know, thousand percent. Friend, friend or foe. I see it every time at a dinner reservation. <laughs> but I think that um, I think they're hot. I think it's a hot topic, right, Josh? I mean, you and I have talked about it as well, just in terms of what that means for uh, for people and for women. And I think that um, where I'm different now in my career than I was before is women supporting women and being able to advocate for them and not look at them as a competition, but really being so proud that they're achieving as well. That is a thought that did not exist at the beginning of my career. It was definitely women vying for their job and it was highly competitive and people were throwing each other on the, the bus and doing whatever it took because positions were limited at that higher level. Um, but I think now it's about, I'm so happy that there are females 
on my management team and I'm so happy that they're succeeding because that gives hope for the younger females in our company, but also just great examples, right? Like for females, it's not like we stop in mid-management and that's it. Um, that they can reach the highest level within the company. That's great. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your decision to kind of come back to the workforce after having your your son? You know, what were I guess what were like some of the things you had to think about and you know just just issues? I think it 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 faces every you know all, all women still right. There's a lot of drop off from you know workforce participation it hasn't really gotten better over time. Um, it's actually gotten worse in America. So I'm just curious, like what issues did you have to deal with and how did you kind of think through that? Sure. Um, I honestly, I think at the time, I would have gone back to work if they offered me a flexible schedule. But 12, 13 years ago, when I had my first son, that was not even a topic on the table, right? Working remotely, which is a norm now, was not something discussed then, unless you were a traveling salesman. So when I had my first son, I asked, would you be open to a flexible schedule? Would you be open? And that just wasn't a company policy at the time. Truthfully, if they said yes, I would probably still be at Lacoste today. I think it's honestly one of the best places to work when I, when I was there. I can't speak for today. Um, so I decided to stop working. Fortunately, I was able to. Um, I don't think that's an option for most people. So I recognize that. And I was home, and for those that have had children, those that first little while really feels like Groundhog's Day. And I think I was calling my husband more than I ever had in our relationship, and he's like, I am not your personal assistant. You, I mean, we have to figure out some other activity for you to do. Um, and I really realized that I'm, I missed working. I miss the office environment. I miss my job. I worked really hard for my career and I didn't want to just walk away. I, I wanted to keep that going. And I thought that there was so much to learn. It was really, you know, sort of at that turning point in e-com where it was becoming such an important vehicle and such an important platform for businesses. And I was so excited to be a part of the initial journey. And I realized I was not the best version of myself for my family. And that's really, that was really the deciding factor was I didn't, I didn't feel like me. And I guess that goes back to probably, I didn't know how to word it back then, but my, my own mental health, right? Just, you know, the, the hormones, the et cetera, that everything you're going through after you, after you have, you know, delivered the baby. But um, I, I think that as women, we were, were told you sort of have to pick or you're not gonna be achieving at the highest level in both or there's sacrifice and there definitely is, but there's life is so much more convenient than it used to be when my mom was a working mom, right? There's so many ways to be able to work and um, I felt like it was a disservice almost to my family that I wasn't working because I wasn't the best version of myself. I feel, uh, Josh and I, we've had a lot of conversations about this. And it's funny because I remember being sort of early on in my career and I looked at my boss and I'm like, I never want to be in that seat. 
And now I'm in that seat and I sort of look at my boss and I'm like, I don't know if I could do that job. I don't know if I want to be in that seat either. Um, I always constantly, I mean, the great thing about working in digital is that it's always changing and it's, and you're able to learn and evolve all the time because that, that um, industry is changing so quickly. I think that for me in terms of my career is, um, how I, I really look at sort of the mentor piece of it. I think Josh, you and I have talked about like board seats. What does that look like? Um, you know, I think that I work at a company now, which truthfully, honestly, I feel that it, it might be where I end my career because I just like the people and the culture so much from a person that changed companies every three years it's very odd to say that because I am nearing three years with them and I don't feel the itch to leave um, that could also be where I am in my life also but I think it's a huge part due to culture for sure and I think one of the things everyone's talking about or is a hot topic right now of companies going during COVID going from in office to remote how can you maintain that culture or how can you develop a new culture where the employees are engaged? Um, and I think it's I think it's solely dependent on the people and making sure that you're still having those water cooler conversations to have that personal connection with the people that you're working with. Now it's time for thank you notes where we ask the guests to thank someone from their past who opened up a door or maybe gave them a piece of indelible advice. Kristen, who are you going to thank? I don't even know if she knows this. I would probably thank my boss at Max Mara, Christine Westerby. She probably taught me almost everything I know about business and how to navigate business and, and work. She's a badass. Um, I think that at the time, I did not appreciate her as a boss. I was probably also super scared of her as well. If she walked in or zoomed in on the Zoom, I'd be like, um, but I really appreciate, honestly, everything she did. She also gave me, you know, she gave me a chance to work in luxury, which was super exciting. She has a very impressive resume herself. And she really showed uh, how to be a career woman, if that makes sense. I think that as someone that didn't necessarily have that example growing up, she really showed what that meant in its truest form. I mean, she was definitely, and still is, kicking ass and taking names. Thank you, thank, Christine. Yeah, thank you, Christine. So now it's time for top picks. This is where we share with our listeners a book, an app, a life hack, any, anything we think they'd find uh, useful or interesting. Uh, Matt, why don't you start us off? I'm going to suggest a podcast. Um, I'm researching a, and writing an article about how to market your podcast. So while researching the article, I learned about Coffee with a Journalist. It's a podcast that's brought to you by OnePitch, which is a SaaS platform for marketers and communicators. And it's really great. Like you, It's an interview each episode with a different journalist who talks really frankly about what drives them crazy, their pet peeves when they're pitched to different articles and stuff. And it's really interesting because some of these people, you read their articles all the time in Verge and other big publications or Vox, and, but you don't really know them and you kind of get to know them through this kind of cool, um, cool podcast called Coffee with a Journalist. Cool. Kristen, do you have a pick? Yes. During COVID, I really got into master classes. 
Um, and I really liked sort of bringing in these experts in their field. Some of it is very light, but some of it is super interesting, sort of how people started or just even, um, or just even how to, you know, meditation. The, I mean, the genres are so widespreading or just hearing people's stories or there was one from Robin Arzan who she was a corporate attorney become Peloton guru. And that was super interesting just to be able to take that huge pivot in your career, right? You think you're on one trajectory. Obviously, you went to law school. You want to be a lawyer. And then, boom, you want to work in fitness. And then she actually reached out to Peloton for a job. Um, and now she's sort of, you know, the star on the face. Um, I have two. So one is just uh, entertainment. It's a podcast called Land of Giants. Land of the Giants. And it's basically but from Recode. It's a new podcast uh, or newish podcast, and it goes different companies' stories. So the, the one that I'm listening to is Apple uh, and launching the iPhone. So the first episode is about when they launched the iPhone. And it's just like you, we all know it because we all lived through it the last you know, 13 years, 14 years. But it, it kind of was part nostalgic and then part you just learned some business stuff along the way, like all the decisions that were made. So I thought that was uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, and then I think they have one Amazon track and some bit, so just big tech companies they're doing. Um, the other one is just more of a, I guess, a life hack or habit. Someone you know, told me about this. Their family does a, a family plan where they actually, and they kind of showed me just a glimpse of it. It's like a, it's all like a mini PowerPoint where they have like their family goals, their kids, their aspirations, their kids' values, and then kind of everything that comes in between, like what trips they're going to take, this and this. And, you know, I'm pretty goal-oriented and, you know, it's just not, totally new to me but the concept of doing it like with your children and like having them participate i thought was super interesting uh, you know and whether you have kids or your partner or whatever it is like i think it's a good just an interesting exercise for probably people to try at least at least once so so we want to thank Kristen for joining us today uh Kristen, if if our listeners want to find you what's the best way for them to get in touch with you well, thank you so much for having me. I've had a really great time with both you, Matt, and Josh. So thank you so much for having me. You can find me on LinkedIn, Kristen DiConzolo. You can also visit my company's website and make a purchase, which would be so helpful for me, helpful for me personally at wacol-america.com. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Kristen. Our theme music was created for us by Movers and Shakers, a really cool creative studio who use original music and dance to bring brands to life. It's such a fresh approach to telling a brand story, and their work really engages emotionally with consumers. In fact, they recently won a Webby. You can watch their videos for Match.com, Little Tykes, and others on their website, MoversShakers.co.